Welcome to a special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. In this podcast series, we will consider the intersection of compliance, due diligence, and mergers and acquisitions. We will look at issues relating to core due diligence, concerns in deal-making, potential reputational issues, deals through a global lens, and integration issues. In this series, I'm joined by Hannah Coleman, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practices. She specializes in fast-moving, complex, and specialized research assignments in a variety of areas, including investigative due diligence, corporate contests, intellectual property investigations, media transparency assessments, and litigation support. We also have Tom Pinnell, Managing Director in K2 Integrity's Investigations and Risk Advisory Practice. With a focus on financial investigations, Tom leads the multidisciplinary teams working with corporate clients and their legal advisors responding to crisis events, including multi-jurisdictional, white-collar crime, misconduct, financial fraud statements, anti-bribery and corruption incidents, and compliance advisory work. In this part three, I visit with Hannah Coleman on avoiding potential reputational issues through due diligence. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, back for another episode and our continuing exploration of compliance, diligence, and mergers, mergers and acquisition. I have back with me Hannah Coleman, Managing Director at K2 Integrity, and today we're going to take up the interesting topic of blinded by familiarity, uh, avoiding potential reputational issues. Hannah, first of all, uh, thanks again for taking the time to visit with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And we touched on this in an earlier episode, but it's not unusual for two parties in a merger and acquisition, uh, particularly if it's not adversarial, um, to know each other. And uh, they may the principals may be in the same industry. They may have kind of grown up together professionally. They may be in the same social circles, professional circles. Um, but really that leads me, I wanted to use as as an intro, in these types of deals, what's different about the due diligence process or perhaps what do you as a due diligence professional and as an outside consultant bring that uh, two companies who think they're doing a friendly merger can't really do themselves? Well, you're right, Tom. It's quite common that by the time we're retained to do a reputational diligence exercise, that there's a certain level of familiarity and comfort that's been established between uh, the acquirer and the acquiree. Um, and it's very easy to think in this context, you know, I know this person, he's a good guy, or she's reliable, I feel comfortable with her. Uh, but it's also, at the same token, really important not to let that familiarity breed complacence. There are folks who have had long and very accomplished careers and been forced to resign based on misrepresentations about something like educational credentials or early, something that happened in their early career. You might remember back in 2012, for example, there was the story of the Yahoo CEO who was forced out when an activist investor did the homework, went digging and found that he had embellished details of his college degree. So things from decades back can really echo forward into the present in significant and impactful ways. And it's a mistake to to underestimate that. Also, these deals can move quite quickly. And so the timing can be really important. So we, you know, with the knowledge that you don't want to do diligence too early in the process, at the same time, it's really important to do it when it can still be useful and impactful. 
Um, if there are significant issues that are identified, you want to still be able to address those and remediate them to everyone's satisfaction before you're locked into terms. And in uh, the, a general compliance program consists of three parts, prevent, detect, and remediate. Mm -hmm. And in the due diligence space, and particularly corporate hiring and mergers acquisitions, I've heard many senior executives say, well, well, we'll get a clawback provision or we'll take care of it if something pops up, if we detect it uh, later. But it really strikes me what you're describing is moving due diligence from a detect really to a prevent and using the information to help prevent a company from finding itself uh, in, in deep reputational uh, water or actually out of a lot of money or in a financial uh Imbroglio because they haven't performed due diligence. Does are you able to have that type of, type of conversation with your clients, customers, or others? And does that message really resonate that if you do the due diligence properly, it will really benefit your company in a way that whatever contractual provisions you may write into the contract can't? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's always it's easier to prevent than it is to. Um, to try to remediate. I mean, you can't, you can't remediate bad press, you know, you can't claw back bad press, <laughs> as they say. Um, and it, look, we always, we, our job as investigators is to make our clients smart and to help them make the best decisions so that they don't, they're not caught flat footed. Um, that's never good. And there are times where we do diligence and we identify significant issues and a client can get comfortable with that and they can, um, with a certain issue, and they can come to the decision that, listen, um, this this is something that's not great. We're still gonna we can get comfortable enough that we're gonna move forward with this deal. And if something blows up, then we're gonna have a plan to how to handle it. You just the worst case is being caught unaware. Um, and so, at the very least, even if we're again we're not out to to kill a deal, to tell you to do something or not do something, but we're at if we're doing our job correctly, then we're giving the client the tools to be prepared um, as, as prepared as they can be for anything that might go awry. Um, many companies I've heard say, well, we've done a general Google search and that's not turned up any negative information in an era that perhaps is ending, but certainly in a prior era where many uh, settlements with senior executives, if they left the organization under a cloud or confidential or not put into the public record, why is thinking that a simple Google search around reputational issues is going to be significant? And how do you as a due diligence investigator really go to the next level to see if there's anything there? I mean, particularly today when so much information is available online, you, you one might think that you'd be able to, to find important things relatively quickly by doing um, some Google research. And we do have clients that come to us and have, have done basic Google searches or not done anything at all. Um, and certainly you might see some high profile issues there, but what you're seeing there is, is very limited. And as we discussed in our first episode, uh, there can be a lot to sort through to figure out what's actually relevant. Um, in some jurisdictions around the world where we work, there's a lot of limitations to the kind of data the public can access. So the challenge is getting enough information. In the US, there's no shortage of public information. The challenge there is really knowing where to look to find it. Um, for example, if we're looking at an energy company, 
uh, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and some state agencies. But FERC has a library of information that covers complaints, orders, opinions, and other data about a company. It can be a real gold mine. Um, but a layperson is just not going to know that that exists. They're not going to know where to look or how to find it. Um, similarly, in some cases, particularly for small companies or companies who are located outside of major metro areas, local news will have a wealth of information and coverage that just doesn't make its way up to the national level and isn't high profile and kind of re-reported. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, publicly traded companies that file with the SEC, we can identify a host of potential issues through those companies' own filings, things like accounting or financial reporting issues or disputes with auditors, among other things. Sometimes that is reported on, but oftentimes it's not. Um, and so the challenge is really knowing where to look. And there are other kinds of issues that um, really do take some analysis or, and are unlikely to be written about. For example, we might see that a pattern of, there's been a pattern of recent litigation filed against a company by lenders. That could be indicative that the company is under some kind of financial stress or strain, and that wouldn't manifest um, you know, in press coverage or, or have gotten to the point of a bankruptcy filing, certainly. Um, so it's really, the Google search is the bare minimum, and we certainly advise um, that we do an, an increased level of, of diligence based, as we mentioned in our last episode, together um, on the risk of the transaction. So I largely grew up professionally in the energy industry. And within the energy industry, certainly within a company, you knew who kind of the bad characters were. And then as I moved up kind of the professional ladder, it became sort of the same. You knew who the bad actors were across our profession. And you knew who to watch out for. Uh, you knew who the sexual harassers were. You knew who the people were, just as you said, would stiff you financially. Is that the type of information that a deep dive due diligence can find out, even if it's it's really not reported in a in a newspaper filing or other public record? Is that the, the type of uh, information that you can help a company uh, help put before a company? Certainly, there are certain circumstances where our client um, will be open to or it might be appropriate to do human source interviews. So we might talk, some of the kinds of people we might talk to might be former employees of a company or um, in certain circumstances, adverse parties in litigation or just other people who know the industry well and know, you know the reputations of different country, of different companies or people. As you talked about, people who have been in the in energy industry for a long time will know the major players and know the major issues. So there are um, circumstances where we do those kinds of interviews as well um, to, to try to, and those can be focused either generally to get a general sense of reputation, or they can be really tightly focused on issues that have come up that we need to dig into more deeply or have a more a clear understanding of. I was wondering if you have, could share with us an example of a situation where a client came to you after going really on autopilot uh, that uh, really turned into a bad result and they had, had to ask for your help or a situation where they did do that and the, the result was frankly very negative for the company? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think what we see more often are clients who expect, who come to us expecting that the diligence is going to be a formality and then are surprised where they see real issues coming back to them. Um, we've had you know, as I mentioned, instances where they, they expect that it's going to be check the box. 
um, kind of a formality, and then there's real there's real findings there. Um, one that comes to mind, an example of that that comes to mind, is an executive that we were looking at in connection with the acquisition of his company. We found that he had a Twitter account, you know, not under his first and last name, so not immediately apparent. Um, but there was some content on that that would have been considered widely considered offensive and problematic in tone and in content. And finding that and uncovering that for the client, they weren't thrilled to know it, but knowing it gave them the opportunity to address that proactively and take care of it to ensure that it wasn't going to blow up at some point down the line when someone found this account and linked it back to the person. And unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted uh where, if they wanted more information on any of the topics you've talked about, where could they go? Oh, you can find us on our website at k2integrity.com, or you can follow along with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter at k2integrity. Well, Hannah, uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I greatly look forward to... Thanks so much, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of this special five-part podcast series sponsored by K2 Integrity. For more information, check out K2 Integrity's website at www.k2integrity.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode in this special five-part series. This podcast series is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.